Welcome back to the Unlearning Podcast. My name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, and I am your coach, your guide, and your biggest cheerleader on your unlearning journey. I'm so excited that you're tuning in and taking the time to think about your evangelical beliefs. There's lots of deconstruction podcasts out there that you can listen to, and so I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen to this one. The Unlearning Podcast is all about getting you to gently deconstruct toxic theology with the hopes of helping you form a healthy and life-giving relationship with Jesus and your neighbor. Everything on this show is an offering, something for you to consider and think about. Take what feels right to you and leave the rest. So I'm so excited about today's episode and thank you for hitting play and for allowing me to accompany you on your unlearning journey. On today's episode, we will continue our series on Christina Cleveland's new book, God is a Black Woman, and focus on the white male gods discussed with human need. If you missed last week's episode, go back and check it out. In the first part of the series, I explain that Christina Cleveland's understanding of the evangelical God, whom she calls the white male God. Our white male God is all one word and all lowercase. The evangelical God is often thought of as white and male and astoundingly transcendent, meaning no one can touch God or come near God, for God is holy. This is very different from how we see Jesus in the New Testament, where people risk their lives to touch Jesus' hem. Not only do people not die when they touch Jesus' clothes, but Jesus affirms their faith. Check out Mark chapter 5 if that story is new to you. In Christina Cleveland's understanding of God, God is not white or male or so transcendent that you must clean yourself up before you come near. For Cleveland, God is a black woman, and God is seen in the sacred black feminine. In her book, Cleveland wrote, and I quote, that she is the God who is with and for black women because she is a black woman. She's the God who smashes white patriarchy and empowers us to join in her liberating work. She's the God who has a special love for the most marginalized because she too has known marginalization. She is the God who cherishes our humanity and welcomes our fears, vulnerabilities, and imperfections. End quote. I love, love, love that line about God being someone who cherishes our humanity, welcomes our fears, vulnerabilities, and imperfections. That, to me, is so wonderful. For some of us, the idea that God cherishes our humanity and welcomes our fears, vulnerabilities, and imperfections, for some of us, that idea is really, really hard to believe. It requires a massive stretch of the imagination. But even though it's hard, I want you to try it. As Glennon Doyle often says, we can do hard things. We can do hard things. Deconstruction, it's hard. Deconstructing toxic masculinity is really hard. And deconstructing the patriarchy of our Christian faith is even harder. But we can do hard things. We can live a life without toxic masculinity. We can have romantic relationships without patriarchal Christianity, and we can go to church and live in our communities without worshiping the white male God of evangelical theology. We can do hard things. And so as I begin to discuss more of Christina's book, I want to encourage you to do the hard thing 
and to try to imagine God as a Black woman who cherishes your need, welcomes your fears, vulnerabilities, and imperfections. If you really take the time to think about it, our Christian faith and our white American culture have a few things in common, a few significant things in common. In her book, God is a Black Woman, Cleveland points out how Christianity has incorporated, and I quote, toxic masculinities, idols of knowledge, which are logic, reason, tradition, certainty, and consensus, end quote. Let me say that again. Christianity has adopted toxic masculinity's tools or idols of knowledge, which are logic, reason, tradition, certainty, and consensus. These idols are what drive so much of patriarchal American culture and our evangelical faith today. Seeing God as a Black woman means that we reject this idolatry. These are white patriarchal values, not black feminist values. Cleveland states that, and I quote, the sacred black feminine is entirely otherworldly, declaring her truth not just through ideas, but through magical and expansive experiences, end quote. So what does it mean to declare our ideas through magical and expansive experiences? Perhaps it means that instead of limiting our lives to doing just what the Bible says or what our pastor says, we live our lives holding our hands and our hearts open to the beauty and mystery all around us. Let me apply this idea to a very specific aspect of evangelicalism for a moment. The biggest lie of the purity culture is that if you wait until marriage to have sex, and if you find someone whose faith is like yours, and if you both go to church and make purity promises, it's the biggest lie of the purity culture, that your marriage will be perfect. See, we are taught that if we make a purity pledge, then that will guarantee that we'll have God's best in marriage. That is simply not true. Relationships are hard. Love is hard. Love requires faith and maturity and the ability to trust another person. And you don't get out of that kind of work simply because you and your partner wore purity rings. God's best in marriage requires faith and maturity and the ability to trust another person. And so you don't escape the temptations that everyone else faces simply because you follow a set of rules. You cannot control what happens to you or to your marriage. All you can do is control how you show up. Let me say that again. You cannot control what happens to you or to your romantic relationships. This is the lie of the purity culture that by following rules, you can control the outcome. You can't control it. All you can do is show up in a healthy, life-giving way. All you can do is show up in a way that is genuine to who you are and to the beliefs and principles that you hold dear to yourself. Part of showing up in a healthy and life-giving way is being open to the beauty and mystery of life. And if we don't stay open to this beauty and to the mystery, to the things we can't understand, if we start getting resentful and bitter because things are out of our control, because we don't like this mystery, because we desperately need answers, if we don't stay open, we risk showing up with only the intention to control others. 
And sorry, no matter what your pastor told you, again, you have no control over other people or over what happens to you. This is one of the many challenging mysteries of life. That being said, if we let go of our obsession with certainty and tradition and logic, and we open our hearts to the mystery of love and to the beauty of personal growth, who knows what we might experience? Just because relationships are difficult doesn't mean they aren't worth it. You can't go into a relationship thinking you can control the other person through a strict adherence to evangelical purity. You just simply can't. All you can control is yourself. And sometimes this reality feels terrifying, especially if you are closed off to the beauty and mystery of life. But this reality can be liberating if you open your heart and your mind and it remains open to the beauty and mystery of life and the mystery of relationships. Cleveland goes on to say, and I quote, unlike white male God who was held hostage by logic, when God is a black woman, she dwells in the feminine realm of intuition, possibility, and mysticism, end quote. Think about this for a minute. Many of us were taught to distrust our intuition, right? Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? End quote. You see, the evangelical church has taken these verses to teach us to be distrustful of ourselves and to distrust our intuition. But when we see God as a black woman, as our black Madonna, who dwells in the feminine realm, of intuition, possibility, and mysticism, we are invited to do the same. What does it mean to dwell in the realm of intuition, possibility, and mysticism? It means to be open to the beauty and mystery of life instead of constantly pursuing certainty, logic, and reason. To help you think through this more, Cleveland provides a list of questions to ask yourself. And it's a list of questions that I will post in the show notes. She wrote that instead of asking ourselves, what can I prove? What is orthodox? What can be sustained by history or scripture? We should ask, what nurtures hope in my black female embodied soul? What gives life to my black female embodied soul? What heals my black female embodied soul? What liberates my Black female embodied soul? What helps my Black female embodied soul love itself and others well? If you don't identify as a Black woman, that's okay. The point of these questions is to center your attention on what helps the most vulnerable people in our society. And these days, and for the last five, six hundred years in our country, it is Black women. Okay, so I want want to encourage you to write those questions down. What nurtures hope in the black female embodied soul? What gives life 
to a Black female embodied soul. Like we really need to center our attention on these things and allow these questions to kind of help direct our behavior. Again, we are asking these questions instead of what can I prove, what is orthodox, and what can be substantiated by history or scripture. Cleveland centers her theology about God on womanist theology. Womanism is, and I quote, all about believing that Black women are sacred and that their lived experiences are the most important source of information as they determine what is true, what is valuable, what is hurtful, what is healing, etc. End quote. Now, before I go on, I just want to say that we should all be womanists. We should all be womanists. Cleveland goes on to say that, and I quote, Womanists don't give a shit about the consensus or the church's beliefs or what the sacred texts supposedly say. Rather, they prioritize Black women's lived experiences above all other sources of knowledge. So lots of times people will dismiss the cares and concerns of people of color and of Black women specifically because it goes against what they think the Bible says or because it goes against the white majority consensus. This is why Cleveland said, womanists do not give a shit about the consensus or the church's beliefs. Rather, they prioritize Black women's lived experiences above all other sources of knowledge. How many times were you told to follow the rules and do what people expect of you, even when it didn't feel right? How many times have you gone against your own tuition for the sake of not ruffling any feathers? The point of our deconstruction journey is not to be combative or to be argumentative with evangelicals. The point is to find healing and spiritual liberation and to help others experience that too. And so when we follow our intuition, even at the expense of going against the crowd, we are retaining our essence, protecting our autonomy, and liberating ourselves. And if we give up on our intuition for the sake of going with the crowd or the church, over time, we lose connection to ourselves. By silencing our intuition, by silencing our needs, we begin to erase ourselves. Cleveland asserts, that in the evangelical church, I quote, we must conceal our human needs and imperfections in order to avoid punishment or social rejection. Cleveland explains that to need or not to need, that is how patriarchy determines who is valuable and who is not, end quote. This is so true, isn't it? In our society, we have the greatest respect for people who do not need anything, who are completely self-sufficient. We are in awe of people who went from rags to riches, who essentially worked so hard that they erased their needs. But this is toxic masculinity and patriarchy at its core, and it is deeply dehumanizing. Cleveland explains that in, and I quote, in white male God's society, toxic masculinity screeches, Boys don't cry, and young girls struggle to get dates after being labeled high-maintenance. Women are demoted for being too emotional. She explains, just don't please tell us about your need in real time. Need is only acceptable in the past tense. End quote. So this is white male God ideology. 
just don't tell us about your need in real time. Need is only acceptable in the past tense. This is a very rugged, masculine, American kind of thinking. These are the messages we are fed by our American society and by the evangelical church. And I quote, in order to be considered worthy of love, value, and safety in the white male God's world, we must overcome whatever obstacles are in our way without displaying any need. End quote. We must conform. We must color within the lines, follow the consensus, the logic, the tradition, even at the expense of our own needs. This is toxic. This is unhealthy. So I think it's easy to see how problematic and unhealthy it is. But Cleveland explains, and I quote, as a result, black girls are punished for challenging what society considers unfeminine behavior, including being candid and assertive, end quote. Now, when you meet me in person, I'm generally quite calm and shy. Sometimes I'm a little awkward uh, when I meet new people in person, but you get the picture. But when I get in front of a large group of people, I feel really comfortable. I used to be a camp director. I could easily lead a dance, teach 300 children how to dance without sweating a beat. I feel really comfortable. I feel quite confident. And I speak with assurance in front of large groups of people. And so every once in a while, I'll meet someone, usually a man, who is shocked by how well I can speak publicly. And I often wonder if it's my comfort or confidence that shocks them. Oftentimes, men are threatened by women who speak with so much assurance, by women who speak too confidently. But no matter what gender you identify with, I want to encourage you to adopt a confident tone in your voice. You don't need to speak confidently on behalf of all people as if you know everything about everything that is being arrogant. We don't want to worship the idols of knowledge as if we could possibly know everything about everything. That's arrogance. But please be encouraged to speak confidently about your own experiences of God and of your life and of your relationships. Even if your own experiences go against logic, reason, and the consensus. Remember Paul's words to Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. When you think about your own needs and your own dreams and what you want out of life, speak confidently. Be an expert of your own needs and your own story. Trust yourself. Trust your intuition. Be open to the mystery and beauty of life. If God is a Black woman, then God cherishes our needs, vulnerabilities, fears, and imperfections. We can approach her gracious presence with confidence, knowing she cherishes all of us. As we close today's episode, I want to leave you with this one quote. Cleveland wrote that every time we hide our need, we take one step closer to white male God's contagious shame spiral and one step away from the liberating truth that our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. End quote. Let me say that again. Our need is a luminous marker of our humanity. That sounds like Jesus. That sounds like something Jesus would say. 
and did say each time he preached the gospel of grace, compassion, and mercy. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Unlearning Podcast. I pray that as you go throughout your week, that God would give you the ability to see your own humanity, your needs, fears, and vulnerabilities as a gift. And I also pray that each and every day you would take time to ask yourself these questions. What nurtures hope in a Black female embodied soul? What gives life to the Black female embodied soul? What heals the Black female embodied soul? What liberates the Black female embodied soul? What helps the Black female embodied soul to love itself and others well? If you don't know the answer to those questions, spend some time talking about these things with other Black women and allow them to teach you and to guide you. Whatever the answers are to these questions, pursue it. Pursue what nurtures Black women, what heals and what gives life. If God is a Black woman, then we must affirm the sacred Black feminine all around us and invite the leadership of Black women into our lives and into our communities. Thank you again for listening to the Unlearning Podcast. Next week, we will continue our series on Christina Cleveland's book, God is a Black Woman. If you haven't already purchased this book, go out and get your own copy. You will not regret it. She is an amazing author. But for today, I am signing off. This is Ashley Lynn Hangst, and you are listening to the Unlearning Podcast.